Um, for those who don't know me, my name is Rihanna. Um, Jack, who was telling all the announcements, is my husband. I asked him to introduce me, but he didn't, so that's okay. I can do it. <laughs> um, so for the last couple of weeks, we have been going through the book of Acts and um, really focusing and looking on how um, the gospel or the story of Jesus spread like wildfire through all nations um, after, oh yeah, if I say wildflower instead of wildfire, that's my bad, just go, just go with it, but it will happen. And I think even in my notes, it says wildflower sometimes, so just scratch that. Um, but... Yeah, we're just looking at, um, you know, in a time like 2,000 years ago before emails, internet, postal systems, phones, tweets, whatever, you name it, before all of those things, how did this message of Jesus spread like wildfire throughout the nations without being distorted or without being disgruntled or without being diluted? Um, and the, the ministry in Acts shows us how that happened. So that's why we've been looking at it. Um, Samuel spoke last week, which was amazing. If you haven't listened to that, he's on the podcast. I always seem to follow Samuel and he's just so amazing at teaching and so anointed. It just seems so unfair that I'm always following him. But if you missed his message, it is on Spotify. Um, and I will be speaking. Yes, Pam, we know it's because you don't want to go after Sam. That's, we get it. <laughs> Who does the rosters? Um, <laughs> true. Okay, so I'm going to read to you from Acts 16, verse 16 to maybe like 30, 33 or something. Um, and I want to just pull out a couple of points, like pretty simple, that we can apply to our own lives and in our own church and in our own time so that we can see this story of the gospel start to spread again, undiluted, undisrupted, throughout the nations and in throughout our community. So um, Acts 16, the context of this story is that Paul is on his second missionary journey since being converted. Um, and his conversion came from a place like, so he was known as Saul before and his main game was killing Christians and persecuting Christians and all of these crazy things. So a special shout out to anyone who maybe walked through the doors this morning and thought that, I don't know, they were gonna go up in flames. Special shout out that most of our New Testament is written by a guy who was transformed um, from a place of persecuting Christians and still was forgiven and restored and transformed into um, a missionary and into a full-time teacher and preacher of the word. So that's a little shout out for you. Um, so we're in Philippi. Um, which is in Macedonia. And in verse 16 is where we'll start. So this chap chapter is crazy. Like if you've read it, I feel like you need to stop at every word or every sentence and just be like, <sighs> so I really asked the Lord to help me, ref <laughs> to help me like refine and actually bring in some kind of like concise ideas without being like here for five hours or whatever. Um, so we are in Acts 16, verse 16 to 33. I'll try to read off the screen, but we'll see how it goes. So... Um, Paul didn't write this, Luke wrote this, so when it says we, it's him. Um, once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. 
She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. I feel like you read that and you're like, yes, demonic woman, like you're speaking the truth. But she kept this up for many days. And so finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When owners realised that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authority. So um, the like language in this text go from like, we were here and we were there to they, because um, they just took Paul and Silas away from the rest of their group of friends. Um, <laughs> their friends, their pals. Um, they brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrate ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in stocks. My little like note in the Bible says, um, like the little asterisk on verse 24, it says, not just for extra security, but also for torture. I was like, great. (laughs) Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Context to that, the um, punishment or the result of letting prisoners out on your watch is pretty much like instant death. So that's why he was going to kill himself. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And remember, he knew that they had the way to be saved because that's the reason they went into jail because there was a demonic spirit telling them these men are of the Lord uh, Lord Most High and they are telling you how to be saved. For days she was saying this. So that's how the jailer knew that that is how they knew the way to be saved. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptised. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for always showing us the way of restoration and of light, even in the darkest times, God. I just pray that this morning I would be able to get out of your way and let you do the ministering, Lords. That the hearts you have prepared in this house would be open and ready to listen, God. That all of our minds would just be centred on a part that you are just bringing into focus, God. And we would be able to, to walk out of here changed that we would be compelled by your spirit to have a change of heart, a change of action and a change in our life, Lord. We know that that is not above or um, any more crazy than what you say in your word, Lord. And we are just believing that there is still salvation in your name. There is still transformation in your names, God. And when we put our eyes on you, that there is wildfire spread, God, that that the word of hope spreads out throughout our nation. And we are declaring it and believing it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, 
Let me just get my little scrolly. Um, okay, so all the, th the side notes aside, I told you that, that like every single word just has like so much info to unpack in it. So um, it's just like a crazy verse and a crazy story. And I think that if you just typed it in on YouTube, there would probably be like millions of different sermons and stuff on it. But um, what I want to focus on here is when we look closely, we can see a pattern that is repeating itself here. And I really believe that that is such a crucial part of why and how the, go the gospel spreads so effectively. Um, and so if everyone taking notes this morning, I've titled this message, Eyes Up and Arms Open. And I know it sounds like a kind of like morning mantra kind of thing. So I want to unpack it a bit and give it a bit of a backbone so we actually understand what it kind of means. Um, but to paint a bit of a picture, we can all agree that the opposite of eyes up, arms open is eyes down, arms closed or crossed or whatever. And I kind of want to just like show you what I think that this story would look like if Paul and Silas chose an eyes down, arms crossed kind of attitude instead of what they did do. I feel like it would have said, and about midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining about how much their back hurt from the rods they were just whipped with. They also made sure they told all the other inmates that they, Paul and Silas, were in fact in the innermost room and they had nothing to complain about out there. Plus, they didn't even do anything, so they didn't even deserve to be out there. And then when the prison doors flew open, Paul and Silas said, finally, even though we're naked, wait till the magistrate hears about this, and then stormed out freely. And that is not the story of a testimony of anyone, but that is the story of someone focusing on themselves and of their own darkness and of their own situation and their own injustice instead of keeping their eyes up and their arms open. The word tells us to live with our lives up, with our eyes up and fixed on Jesus. In Hebrews 12:2, it says fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then again in Colossians 3:2, Paul writes, "If you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ proceeds." Sides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ because that is where the action is. See things from His perspective. Paul and Silas were, from every other perspective, every other standpoint, walking into imminent danger. It looked like their ministry was failing. It looked like their missionary journey was over. It looked like the end for them. Every perspective except for God's. Except Paul and Silas didn't have their eyes from every other standpoint. They had their eyes on a standpoint that looked up at Jesus and looked at Jesus doing exactly the same thing. Walking into darkness, walking into adversity and still declaring that God's will be done and not ours. This is the God that works all things together for good. And that is what that eyes on Jesus looks like. And then what about having our arms open? What do I mean by that? Paul writes later in Philippians 2.3, I don't know why, like this verse is so hard to take. Do nothing out of selfish amb ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Once we see and once we know the love of Jesus, our response should always be to love others. Our response... 
That's what I always like want someone else to do when they're speaking and like someone's phone goes off, I just want to like stop and be like, but anyway, judgment free. <laughs> um, next minute, like my phone will go off just to like smite me a lesson. Um, <laughs> we see Paul and Silas here in this story. They have their eyes fixed on Jesus and their mind set on things above and their arms are open to helping the jailer. And then instead of just like um, having their arms crossed and walking out to their own freedom, which I'm sure they were just declaring that God would, would bring to them, they saw the need of the jailer. They saw him holding his own sword to his stomach and they said, hey, 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 arms out, arms out, arms out. What do you need? We're here, we're here. And then that is, is them serving the jailer in response to the love of Jesus. And then the jailer, what does he do? He fixes his eyes on Jesus and he says, hey, I believe in Jesus. And then he hears stories of Jesus. I like to imagine that Paul and Silas were telling him stories of, and then Jesus washed the feet of the disciples before he went to the cross. And then when he was was on the cross, he said, hey, he forgave the guy to his right. And he, he cried out for all of us, all of these stories of Jesus. He was sharing with with um, this jailer. And, and after he heard these stories and after he let them minister to him, what was, what was the jailer's response? It was to go out and wash the wounds of Paul and Silas who were probably still naked, bleeding, bruised and battered from his, from his infliction. And then he goes and he baptises his whole family. And this is that eyes on Jesus, others focused kind of response. And that is how it spreads like wildfire. By not having our eyes focused on ourselves, the jailer was still going to be killed in the morning. It didn't, change his, it didn't change his circumstances. He just changed his perspective. And then seeing a cycle repeat and see it snowball. And you can just imagine that that is how the wildfire went out into the city of Philippi. And that is how it went into all cities, all nations for all of eternity. The story of Jesus because it is in action. Okay, so what do we need to know about arms up? Arms up. Oh yeah, I guess that's like worship. That's good. Eyes up, arms open. What do we need to do to to apply it to our own life? I have three points. They're simple. They're short, hopefully they're concise and hopefully they will, they will be in your mind throughout the week. The first one, not an inspirational quote. We will face darkness and adversity. Not a wallpaper, this one, no. <laughs> but I think that we can so easily fall into the trap of thinking that because we know Christ and we know what living hope is and we know that God is a healer and God is a provider and God is a deliverer. We think that we're exempt from from darkness and adversity and injustice. But in John 16, Jesus said, in this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. And then he says, but take heart because I have conquered the world. We live in this broken world that is totally riddled by disease. We, we share testimonies only because we've gone through darkness. We, we go on mission trips because there is still huge injustice, heartbreaking problems all around the world and it is undeniable. But Jesus says, take heart, I have overcome And I'm not denying or belittling for a second, but just to learn from Paul and Silas here in their darkest hour, they knew it was not what they walked through that determined who Jesus was in their life. It was how they walked through it. 
It is how we walk through our dark times that will determine whether or not Christ is glorified, whether or not Christ will be reflected onto other people, whether their lives will be changed, whether we will be able to speak life and serve others. It is not what, but it is how we walk through the darkness. Okay, point number two. See, short, concise, easy. Heavenly perspective brings heavenly perseverance. And I think that so easily we can dismiss that um, eternal life is like the worst consolation prize ever. Having living hope in Jesus Christ is not something that you put on a card or you say to someone, hey, I'm sorry about that diagnosis. I'm sorry about your loss. I'm sorry about that debt, but life is but a breath. Eternal hope is not a consolation. Eternal hope, living hope, the promise of Jesus that we will spend eternity with Him is not, is not a consolation, but it is entire perspective shift. In Phil- <laughs> okay, I'm reading the wrong point. I was like, that does not even make sense. Anyway, spirit lead me. Um, in verse 27, the jailer was suicidal because the prisoners had escaped and he, and he knew that the penalty for that happening on his watch was death. But then in verse 24, 34, he bound into his house full of joy. And I don't know about you, but knowing that my death was literally coming the next morning, and that was the last time I was going to see my family, share... <laughs> just joking, just joking. Um, and knowing that death was imminent, knowing that that was the last meal you were going to be sharing with your family, I don't think that I would be bounding into the house with joy and with a heart overflowing of happiness. I think that I would be morbid, I would be scared, I would be terrified and I would be wanting to flee. But this man had a revelation and an understanding of what eternal saving hope actually looked like and it shifted his perspective completely and let him walk in a way through this very short season where the fruit of the Spirit overflowed overflowed in him enough that he would be able to baptise his own family. He would be able to see their eternity change. He would be able to wash the wounds of the prisoners and walk into a completely different life because of the living hope that he had been taught and saved by in Jesus Christ. And then point number three is that we are always positioned to help others. Paul and Silas just had their chains broken in this story. The doors flung open and according to every instinct ever, they should have made a run for it. They should have got medical help. They should have rejoined their friends, regrouped on on their missionary and fleed the city. But instead, the doors flung open and they saw the man in true despair. And they went full Philippians 2, 3 on them. They did nothing out of selfish ambition. Instead, they said, hey, what do you need? What do you need? And they put themselves aside to serve others. They disrupted their own agendas and their own desires to put him first. And this wasn't with a guarantee that, you know, he would let them go for free. He was holding a sword. He was the one who put them in stocks overnight, who stripped them naked and put them in the innermost cell. There was no guarantee of hope in this situation, but instead they did nothing out of selfish ambition. And they reached out and they ministered to this man. The the point that that I feel like the Lord really put on my heart about this was 
I never want to be too busy or too upset or too ill or too worried to ever put myself before others. And let's never be a church who is too busy, too lonely, too ill to have eyes up and our arms open to the needs of those around us. And I think it's so important to share that this eyes up, arms open kind of idea isn't just like a fun thing of how the gospel spread, but it is the story of the gospel. I'm nearly done. So Ben, do you want to come back up? That'd be awesome. Um, Jesus Christ went to the cross in a move that from every single perspective looked like he was failing. It broke the heart of his friends and his disciples seeing what they thought was the saviour over. Yet he still walked into this darkest time of his life with eyes that looked up to the Father and and he said, not my will, but yours be done. And even on the cross, he was not too busy, too pained, too distraught to have his focus on others. He even offered salvation and living hope to the criminal next to him. And while Jesus' eyes were fixed on heavenly things, his arms were stretched so wide to offer the same invitation to us. The ones who put him in the position to begin with, carrying not his weight, but ours. Not saying, what do you need? But saying, I am what you need. I am the living hope. I am your eternal promise. I am the saving grace. And I'm carrying all things for you. In me, there is rest. In me, there is life. There is life to the full. And for some of us this morning, that is the first time that you know that the invitation is extended to you. One that is full of love, full of promises, full of forgiveness, full of eternity, full of hope. One that would set you free from looking down, looking down at your own inequities and instead looking up at the perfect saving grace of Jesus Christ. Let's not walk from this invitation unchanged and let's never walk from the invitation without our eyes to Jesus and our arms open to others, regardless of what we're walking through. Let's, let's be reminded that a Jesus perspective is enough to dictate how we will walk through it. The team's gonna sing another song, but I just wanna pray for everyone here. So if you guys wanna stand up, we're gonna pray and then we're gonna sing and then we're gonna morning tea together. <coughs> I'm just going to lock this. I want to speak specifically to a few groups of people. One is the people who have never known that the invitation of Jesus is legit, that the story of the Bible is real, that Jesus did live a sinless, perfect life, died on the cross and was resurrected three days later with promises of living home. If you have never heard that today, I'm going to pray for you. Second group of people, You may be walking through or about to walk through a dark season in your life that does not seem like there is any hope. And there may not be any hope in the flesh, but in Jesus, the living hope is enough for you to change your perspective, enough to change your everyday decisions, to change the way you interact with other people, the way you speak to yourself, the way you think, the way you behave, the decisions that you make about how you spend your days. If you are walking through a dark season, Jesus Christ is your light. He is your living home. 
And the third is for people who have not been able to open your arms to others and feel like you do not have the capacity to love others right now. You might be thinking, Rihanna, you have no idea what I've got on. You've got no idea what I'm going through. I don't and I never will. No one ever will. But the perspective shift gives heavenly capacity. Because when you put others above yourself, you'll be honouring Christ. And when you're honouring Christ, He will always give you the capacity to love and to serve and to prioritise others. And that is the Gospel in motion. That is the Gospel in action. And that is how it will spread through all nations. So would you pray with me? Lord, thank You so much for Your saving grace, Lord. Thank You so much that every time we fall short, every time we, have, we fall down and look at ourselves and look at our own circumstances, God, You are there to realign our perspective, Lord. I pray for people right now who have never known the truth of Jesus. Maybe they've heard about You. Maybe they've heard of You, but have never known that Your arms are stretched wide just for them, God. Pray for them right now that they would accept You as a Saviour. They would accept living hope as a personal promise and have their, have their lives changed from this day forward, God. That You would speak to them individually. You would let them know the truth and the stories of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray for people going through dark times. Lord, that You would just lift right now off their hearts the darkness and the shadow and the weight of that, of that time, Lord. Whether it's illness, debt, disease, death, Lord. We just pray that You would lift it off and remind them that there is an eternal promise that's not a consolation prize, but it is eternal love and eternal communion with You, Lord. And God, we are praying for people who think that others are out of their reach. And why would someone want to learn from them, Lord? Because they have the power of testimony in them, God. They can testify to Your goodness. They can testify to Your capacity. They can testify to Your faithfulness, Lord. And we are declaring that You would bring those testimonies upon them, God. That right now as we worship and we praise You just as Paul and Silas did, God, You would come and You would you would interrupt our thoughts and You would centre our minds on things that You need to tell us individually, Lord. And you would let Your Spirit fall upon us by the precious saving Name of Jesus. We are declaring that You would speak individually to hearts this morning. That Your speaking Spirit is not just one that is in the Bible, but it is alive and active today, God. And You would empower each of us with a testimony and a story and a heart and a focus that is on You and is sufficient to go into our world and spread the Gospel like wildfire, Lord. And we pray today and every day in the precious Name of Jesus Christ. Amen.